0: Ego-wise, it is really hard to go from being like the expert of the experts to the novice of the novices. And I have to just swallow that and show up as the person
1: who is really curious. Welcome to In Her Shoes, I'm Izzy Grinspan, Deputy Style Editor at The Cut. And in this podcast, we talk to ambitious women about how they've come this far and where they're going next. When I started thinking about talking to Aya Kanai, I thought I would be interviewing the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire. Aya has been a fashion editor for nearly 20 years. She worked at Teen Vogue when it first launched. She was fashion director at Nylon, Cosmopolitan, Seventeen. She was chief fashion director at Hearst. She's styled countless celebrities and worked on fashion ads. She also just has this incredibly fun, authentic social media presence, and she has a young daughter. And I was excited to talk to her about fashion, being a working mom, how to make a magazine in the age of Zoom. But what I didn't know is that Aya was about to leave Marie Claire for a new role, head of content and editorial partnerships at Pinterest, which, of course, spun our conversation in a whole other direction. What's it like to change careers, to change industries in a year that's already consumed with constant change? How do you know when it's a good time to take a risk? I also just wanted to talk to her about making a life on social media, and she had really interesting things to say about FOMO, being creative on the internet, and where she wants to take Pinterest from here. Listen on for our conversation thank you again for joining us. Oh, thank you. Like
0: everyone, I love New York Magazine and The Cut, so I'm super glad to be here.
1: Oh, and you were a fashion intern, right, at one point at New York Magazine? Yes,
0: I was a fashion intern um, in college, so probably in the year 2000. Um, I was a fashion intern there, and it was in the old building, and I... Was one of a handful of fashion interns, so I did like a little bit of everything and worked on photo shoots, did fashion credits, and basically was a run around, do everything type of person.
1: Nice. So I guess actually, since we're starting down this road, um, let me ask you to kick things off just a little bit of like kind of your background. You're a native New Yorker, right?
0: Yes. So I was born and raised in New York City. My parents came to America from Japan in the late 60s. And interestingly, they actually met in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were set up by mutual friends. You know, oh, I, I know someone who's also living in New York City. My father was going to graduate school here at Pratt. My mother also had a short career in magazines as well. She worked at Harper's Bazaar and Vogue. So they both have had very creative lives and creative careers. So I have been incredibly lucky in my adult life when I look back on my childhood to see that I grew up around people who lived creative uh, lives and really expressed themselves through their careers, and not as, like, a separate entity tagged on to their careers.
1: You know, I was looking at sort of your career trajectory, and it it seems like, you know, that was obviously such a good call. Like, Teen Vogue was, when it launched, that was such an amazing moment. But it must have felt like just this totally new thing and this total sort of risk. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, the power of instinct in your career choices and how you assess when a risk is worth it or not. Yes,
0: Because of the very public nature of my career, I often have people in young women and men in my DMs asking me, like, how can I get your sort of career? And I think that a lot of it, as you're saying, has to do with an instinct and also, frankly, just being in the right place at the right time. I was at a moment in my young career where I knew I wanted to make a change and I applied for this job at Teen Vogue, which was a brand new startup within Condé Nast. And I interestingly have found myself in startup environments within larger companies, coincidentally several times in my career. At the time. When we started Teen Vogue, it was a very small staff and I was a fashion assistant, which for those of you that don't know, basically means that you're like the catch-all, do-everything person in the fashion team when it comes to requesting the clothes or making sure the editors have what they need, packing trunks. It's like a very like sort of manual labor type of job because you're constantly running around and I, I loved it. I mean, I look back on that time in my life and I was genuinely working about seven days a week because on the weekdays, I'd be in the office prepping for all these photo shoots. And then on the weekend, I would request to be the assistant on set to help out on those photo shoots so I could see what was going on. The incredible thing that was happening at that time was that the Vogue editors were styling the photo shoots for Teen Vogue. And so I was able to see these pros work and put together this creative concept that hadn't existed before. So yes, I was extremely lucky. There is no formula that got me there at that time. Once I was there, I definitely seized the opportunity and like squeezed every bit of juice out of the moments I had to observe different professionals in their element, but it was lucky.
1: Yeah. I think also being in that, the startup within the big company place is so, it's such a sweet spot because you get some of the resources of the big company, but you also get to be really experimental. Yes. I
0: mean, it was so hilarious because of course, one of my jobs was to call up the PR firms and and request clothes for photo shoots. And at that time we were still faxing and doing it on the telephone. And there were times when PR firms would be like, Teen Vogue, that's not a thing, and like hang up on me.
1: Yeah. Because
0: we were launching the product, and so they thought that I was lying. Like, you know, it was such an interesting time, and of course it's become such a great brand. And it still makes me proud all
1: the time to see how it's grown and evolved so much. Yeah. I remember, I, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I remember some skepticism at the time of like, oh, Vogue, it's so sophisticated. Why would there be a teen version? And then it came out and kind of blew everyone away. At least that's sort of my memory of it. hmm
0: mm-hmm. What I saw as an assistant were stylists like doing incredible work. And that was the kind of creativity that genuinely got me so excited to become a stylist myself. Um, And so when I had the opportunity to go to Nylon, which was like another small startup uh, company, I was able to also like rise up in those ranks really quickly because I was the person that was like Willing to do anything, willing to participate in any photo shoot just to get the experience. And that's when I started doing uh, celebrity styling and a lot of that kind of work, which is a completely different sort of headspace.
1: Right. Let's talk a little bit about celebrity styling. I would love to hear a bit about what you learned working with celebrities and if you ever had any, like, you know, of those sort of fantastical celebrity moments on a set or anything like that.
0: Yeah. um, At Nylon, we were shooting a cover with Ashley Olsen. She, as we all know, has a really specific personal style. And so I had been talking to her team in advance to make sure that I was gathering the right kind of look, naturally to keep it in the vein of what Nylon is, but of course to make sure that she was happy with what the clothes were. And on the day of the shoot, she um, like showed up and she and I were talking about the clothes and she took these T-shirts out of her handbag and she was like, I'm I'm thinking of starting a fashion line and the first thing we're making is these T-shirts. Do you think that maybe if you like them, we can use them in the photo shoot? And there were these like gorgeous, like that T-shirt, you know, that T-shirt in your closet that, that's just like that perfect T-shirt. You wish you could just clone it and fill your entire closet with perfect, soft, like beautifully cut T-shirts. And of course, the tag inside said The Row. And that was her first item that she wanted to launch. That's really cool. Of course, at the time, it was a t-shirt brand, and she and I were talking about what her brand would be, which, of course, has become such a force in the fashion industry. And it was amazing to be with her at that time where she was just thinking about it. A lot of my best moments with celebrities were when we would have the opportunity to take them outside of their comfort zone and one time when we were shooting Sienna Miller in um, London. And so myself and my team, we had like basically zero budget to pull this shoot off. So like we made a deal with like the hotel, like, hey, if you help us for this photo shoot, it means, you know, amazing Sienna Miller is going to come and be in the hotel. So they gave us like basically an entire wing of the hotel to shoot in and like kind of like gave us the space to like really pull this thing off. And it ended up being like, we just like partied in the hotel. You know, we were all so young, Sienna also, we were all just so young. And I look back on that day as just a uh, a day where we had so much fun, partied in the hotel, like had fun with clothes and took pictures. And the, the photographs really reflect that vibe where she felt safe to just like let loose and have fun, and the whole environment of people were there to to make sure that everyone was having a good time, and it was just like, you know, one of those moments that I look back on really fondly. Another one, and maybe this is probably enough, um, is. Um, Michelle Williams, when we were shooting her, she um, had a young daughter at the time and her daughter was just on set all day um, because she was like a young toddler at the time. And it was great because you could see that it made Michelle so happy to like have her family there. And because of that, even though we were in like a studio in New York City doing these pictures, the fact that her daughter was there made her so like relaxed in the pictures. And so um, much more like natural and like happy to be there because she was able to, you know, have the most important member of her family there.
1: That's Sienna Miller's story. It's like living the dream, right? Like this is the fantasy (laughs) of working in fashion and getting to just have a good time and create beautiful things.
0: Yes. I mean, it's only a very few occasions when the, the fantasy of fashion actually comes to life. And definitely that was one of them.
1: Right. And that's the thing. You're working potentially, if you're at least as an assistant starting out, you're maybe working seven days a week and you're spending so much time thinking about logistics and shipping and this stuff that is like very much not partying with Sienna Miller. Did you feel you felt the, the trade off was worth it, obviously?
0: You know, it's interesting because I was in my 20s, and frankly, for most of my 30s as well, like, so focused on doing the most in my career. And that is evidenced by the fact that I paid no attention to everything else in my life, which is having a personal life. And so yes, I was able to advance my career in a big way and work with incredible people and travel around the world and all of that. But what I realized as I got a little bit older that was that I was living a bit of an imbalanced life and I wasn't paying enough attention to making sure that I had my own existence outside of my J-O-B.
1: Right. So what did you do when you realized that?
0: Yeah, when I realized that I um was doing online dating and feeling really weird about that, and then I frankly again got very lucky and met my now husband. Um the the process of like meeting him and getting married is like its own podcast, but at the time I think that I was ready to meet someone who also wanted to have a relationship. And um, after several years of dating, we ended up getting married and
1: and now we have a beautiful daughter. And she's, how old is she? She's two, right? Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half. Awesome. How do you feel like becoming a mom has, this is a huge question, but how has that changed your life?
0: Becoming a parent
1: changed my
0: life in so infinity ways that it's really hard to describe. But I think as it pertains to my work, I really started thinking about what what is the contribution that I'm making in my creative and career world? And how will that be reflected in the world that she grows up in? Um, I had several years of fertility struggles because I, you know, got married later and started trying to have a family later. And so I tried really hard to become a mom. Mm -hmm. I tried really hard. I spent a lot of money. I did a lot of things that, you know, made it clear to me that like, this was something I really wanted. It wasn't like I accidentally became a parent. I very intentionally became a parent. And so what is, you know, interesting about how your your vision changes when you become a parent is that um you start thinking about what is the world that you are creating and giving to them mm-hmm. so i think that's probably the thing that has changed for me the most
1: i wonder also in terms of work you know you were talking about having it be your entire life and obviously traveling and everything and of course you can't do that when you have a family in the same way do you feel like it's impacted or changed the way you work creatively to have it be something you're, that isn't something you're immersed in all of the time, but something that is like, you know, still like you're, you're sharing the focus with another thing that's incredibly important to you. Yes. I I think that because I became a parent
0: later in my life that I, kind of always have a sense of appreciation for how important this role mm-hmm. is to me. But on the other side, if I'm to be totally honest, I've been a person who's like all in on my career my entire life, yeah. or my entire adult life. So I don't know how to like turn off that muscle. Like right. I, I'm i still equally passionate about making sure that I am, you know – um. Making the best contribution that I can in my career, so really, it's more just kind of like an. There's just more on my plate rather than removing stuff from my plate.
1: Yeah, no, I I ask just because I feel the same way that I want to be a hundred percent at everything, and it's and in some ways it feels like you just do, you just somehow are, you have more, the pie just gets bigger as opposed to getting sliced.
0: Yes, and I think like one of the really crazy things about starting a new career and switching industries like which I did recently is that I, you know, spent almost 20 years as a, as an editor rising up through the ranks and then ultimately becoming an editor in chief and your expertise in the media and publishing industry just kind of grows as you climb that ladder. And Naturally, becoming an edit- an, an editor in chief, you are learning a lot, but you're still an expert in the in the publishing and media space. You're able to make decisions and know what meetings are important for you to be in, and what ones, of course, you should de- delegate to other people. Like you know how the puzzle pieces fit together. Whereas switching industries, I knew that this would be hard, but. Now that I'm in the process of doing it and, you know, almost one month into a new job, it's really hard to come into a new industry where genuinely even the words, like we're all speaking English, but there are times when I need a glossary Mm -hmm. to understand what are we talking about. And I genuinely have a glossary that's like open as a tab on my computer at all times, just to be like, oh wait, what was that term that we're talking about? And so that I can make sure that I'm like learning as quickly as I can in order to then be able to make the contribution of my expertise.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Change is always hard, but sort of how do you move through it? Oh
0: my God. Well, I don't know because I am currently moving. I'm like in the swamp of change right now. Right. So, you know, that I, I don't necessarily have like the best words to articulate what I am going through right now. I want to be the right amount of driving hard on myself to always be, you know, squeezing the most out of every moment. But then I also want to Give myself a little bit of permission and time to get used to a brand new environment. So frankly, all day is a ping-pong between those two feelings because, you know, I have now transferred from the the media and publishing world to the consumer technology space um, at Pinterest. And the the landscape itself is very, very different. The kinds of departments that have are departments with hundreds of people in them that I'm like, what is that? What do you do? I'm not devaluing what they do.
1: I'm genuinely like, what is it? Help me understand. Right. And it's so, I feel like you go through that process when you, at least in my experience, when you learn about the fashion industry, I feel like So many times in my career, I've had to explain to someone outside of the fashion industry, something like what a market editor is that feels so natural to us.
0: Yes. Every industry has so much coded language and so much inside baseball priorities that make sense, like exclusively to the people that work there, because the people that experience our product, whether it's The Cut or New York Magazine or Pinterest or Marie Claire or whatever these properties are, have no visibility to the many layers that go into bringing that product to life. And they shouldn't. They should just enjoy it and they should be able to to get what they want out of it. But we as the makers, you know, there's a lot more behind
1: it. I know you're totally in the middle of this and I I feel like we need to do like a follow-up in two years when you've got, you know, all the accumulated wisdom. But how do you cope with knowing that you're coming in in a position of authority and you have all this deep knowledge, but it's also, like, a totally new culture? Are you, do you sort of front load your, like, I need to learnness, or do you want to, like, not be so public about it? Like, how do you, how do you juggle that?
0: Oi. Um, I, oh, this is, like, you know, that time of the night where you're just like staring at the ceiling like thinking about your day this is like you're definitely touching on the main thing that i use that time for um which is that i want to be extremely respectful of everyone else's knowledge mm-hmm. and be in this information galler- gathering space and luckily i am working at a new company where the people that i have met are so friendly and are so willing to you know, kind of like bring what they do back down, dial it down to zero and like help me understand from the beginning so that I can, in the future, make the best contribution that I can. That said, ego-wise, it is really hard to go from being like the expert of the experts to the novice of the novices. And I have to just swallow that and show up as the person who is really curious and know that this is a journey. The projects that we have going and the projects that we want to achieve at Pinterest are, you know, these are multi-year projects and consumer technology is constantly changing and to think that there is some sort of rule book or playbook that is out there to help me know, okay, here's step one, step two. It just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so I have to be able to learn as much as I can to start formulating my own strategy and opinions and, of course, leading um, our team in the best possible way. I don't know if that's the best answer, but it is genuinely hard and i think that a lot of people you know women and men this year are experiencing career changes mm-hmm. and i know how lucky i am to be a person who is able to make contributions in a lot of a lot of different industries and to be changing industries at this time but the day to day of it is definitely it's humbling it's really hard and i know i will come out on the other side a more fully developed human.
1: Yeah. But you're doing this in the middle of a time of incredible social change anyway. And that must be hard, the sort of change on top of change on top of change.
0: Yes. I mean, and I also think that work from home, which um, we are all experiencing right now, is adds another layer onto it because, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I, if you you and I are colleagues, like, I can't just like sit down and have a coffee with you and like, you know, form that relationship. We have to like book a time and we've got a 30 minute slot and it's all um, in a video call. And that's, you know, once we come into this time next year of having done that for, you know, a year and a half of, of being work from home colleagues it'll be interesting to see what our relationships are like.
1: Yeah. Do you have, and it's totally, I mean, the answer might be no, but do you have any advice about how to forge a new relationship over, or, or a build a better working relationship over Zoom and Slack and all of these things that we have that are like not quite the real thing? I have
0: found it to be helpful to be really transparent Uh about everything that you and I just discussed, which is to say that um, I think that historically people in leadership would really put on a more guarded stoic facade. Um, and that 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 idea that leadership means that you're you're meant to appear like you have it all figured out at all times. Um, is a, it's not for me. And I actually don't think since since you and I, if you we are colleagues, really can't meet in person for a long time, I would rather have us in our limited time on video calls to relate like people and for me to be able to share what's concerning me and what makes me feel insecure and for you to then feel the same way. I think that because I'm coming in from a different industry and that aspect adds a heightened sense to my coming into this this platform world, this consumer technology platform world. I think that being able to show that vulnerability allows me to create better relationships. But again, I'll tell you in a year because who knows?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to do that now. I feel like in a way, some of the events of the year have just kind of stripped away that kind of workplace formality, at least in my experience. And it's hard when you're like, if your child is popping up in your Zoom to to be like, I'm the big boss, like in in a way that feels like you're putting on a front, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a little bit about authenticity and vulnerability? It's one of the things that I think really stands out in your social media presence that you feel it always just feels so like really charmingly authentic to me. But that also does mean opening yourself up to like weird internet criticism and, and being in a, in a place of vulnerability. So, um, I'm curious about how that feels to you and the way that you think about that.
0: I, you know, because I am not a, whatever they call it, digital native. Um, and I am part of that generation. I think they're called Xenials who are people who grew up without Um, technology, but have been using it their entire adult life. Um, I have historically taken all these tools sort of at face value. And it's not something that feels normal to me. But I also do know that when I am able to behave in a more open way, whether it's with you on a video call or on my own social media platforms or um you know in the workplace and at home that that everyone in the relationship benefits and luckily i think that that's the the general consensus of everyone in the the social media platform space is that presenting a perfect life isn't what anyone wants anymore and maybe in the beginning of using some of these tools you would like curate your aesthetic to perfection it's just like nobody wants to see that anymore because nobody lives that way right and then also i think that becoming a parent um definitely you know i feel like i am recording a journal for a lot of people to see. But actually, when I'm making it, I'm thinking of it as something that I want my kid to one day be able to look at of like, this is what was happening in August of 2020 when I was a two-year-old. And this is what my mom looked like. And this is what she was thinking. So if you put on that mindset, actually, you, you address everything in your life differently.
1: I love that. I've never thought about that before. But to have your primary audience be... Your daughter when she's grown up that's really really cool. Um so let me ask you a little bit about Pinterest and your plans and what yeah. you know what you're what you've gone to do. Um
0: so one of the things after becoming a parent that I started thinking about a lot is the idea of what how is this world of media changing and what's the best way for me to make a positive contribution to the future of media, the future of publishing, the future of how people create and express ideas in the world. And so when um, I became an editor-in-chief, that was an incredible opportunity to be able to shape a brand, um, which is, of course, like a print magazine, a website, an experiential platform. All that 360 of the brand was something that was a really like ripe, juicy, creative opportunity to be able to shape it aesthetically and from an editorial point of view. When the opportunity at Pinterest came along, I had been thinking a lot about the way in which content creators, and at Pinterest, when we talk about creators, we're talking about everyone from a creator can be Harper's Bazaar, it can be New York Magazine or The Cut, and it can be an individual who is like publishing great ideas. So all of those types of creators are valid in our space, and I really am like powerfully moved by the fact that we get to create a world where so many people have a voice. And that in many ways, the playing field has been leveled for creators of all kinds, whether you're, you know, like a teenager in a small town who's never going to work at a magazine or someone who is working at a publishing platform to be able to kind of shape a point of view. And, you know, for, for our kind of people who are passionate about storytelling, Pinterest is a great, you know very like exciting moment where we are developing our creators platform uh, creating new tools for um, for creators to use to to tell their own story and Pinterest is really different from social media in general because it's about time for yourself you know it's where you go to find inspiration to, style your next outfit, to create a renovation in your home, and envision where to travel. And that aspect of a place where you go to find ideas to then bring into your real life is what excites me about Pinterest, because I think that we have all experienced, I mean, certainly in 2020, where we've like gone down a rabbit hole, is that like we've all experienced this world in which we just get lost in the internet. And it doesn't feel good. In fact, the science shows that people don't feel good when they're constantly um, being envious of other people's lives. Whereas what makes Pinterest different is it's a place where you go to gather ideas, get, get inspiration to then apply to your own life. So it's less of like a FOMO place.
1: Right, and it sounds like it has creativity built in. It's asking you to participate and not to just sit there and let the feed wash over you, which so many, is it's such an experience of the internet right now. Absolutely.
0: And I think it's like, what, what is so crazy is that like our interaction with the internet has gone from that these apps and tools are like a place for us to gather information to apply to our own life, to us being controlled by this thing. And by controlled by, I mean, like spending our entire lives, like consuming other people's existences and focusing less on our own. Mm -hmm. And that is what is really exciting to me about a space like Pinterest is that it is like a really creative platform where people come with a question to answer or a problem to solve. And we're able to provide that. And then go off and live your life mm-hmm. having learned those things.
1: Are you a big Pinterest user?
0: Yes. I've been using Pinterest. Oh, my goodness. Ooh, like since like, um, my God, my Pinterest uh, account goes back to 2012. So I have been a user for a long time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, What is really exciting about our new tools for creators, which are, one of them is called Story Pins, is that it's a way to tell a story in a completely different way and to communicate ideas in a different way. Right now, it's like an invite-only tool, but in um, in the new year, we will like launch it more widely. And it's been really interesting now that I'm inside this organization to see how our like first onboarded creators, how they are using the tools. Because everything that you would predict, all the modeling that we would have done to see how Pinterest users will become creators on our platform, it's like your mind just gets blown by what they actually do and the creativity that they
1: express. That's so cool. you had been at Marie Claire for about a year. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you have a sense in the back of your mind of like, at some point, I'm going to go into the tech world? Or were you ever like, you know, did you see this coming at all? Were you expecting to make this career change at some point in your life? Or is it was it totally a surprise?
0: This was a surprise in the sense that I had no strategy. (laughs) Um, I had no strategy to leave my job because I I love Marie Claire and I love all the brands that I have worked on um, leading up to that. So to me, I did not anticipate that this would become my path. But when I started learning about the Pinterest platform, which um, currently as of today has um, uh, 416 monthly active users, you know, reaching 70% of U.S. millennial women, I was like, if I am able to shape the experience of these users and give them more exciting tools and educate them on how to use this platform better, then isn't this, like, the coolest magazine ever isn't this the coolest publishing platform ever because as a magazine editor what you do is you're you're shaping your own ideas and pushing them out into the world but what my role is now here at Pinterest is to create the tools and educate the creators on a how to publish their ideas and that to me is like a way more impactful influence that I can have on you know, the publishing space and creators around the world than thinking that my own ideas are the coolest and the best. Like, I don't. I, I want to make sure that I am here to empower others to tell their story. And that's how content lives now because people want to be able to express themselves and these platforms are now like creating some of the most exciting tools to do that. So so in in my feeling when I got really excited about the Pinterest opportunity it was because I was like, you know, I want to use this stage of my career to start empowering others to be creative in whatever ways they see fit. And, you know, Pinterest as a platform is is one of the bigger, biggest consumer technology platforms ever created um, with over 5 billion boards and over 240 40 billion saved pins. Like it's it's a gigantic platform of ideas. And that, to be able to make a contribution to that feels like an exciting next step for my career.
1: That makes sense to go really big picture for a second. When you were young and envisioning what your life was going to look like as an adult, was this what you pictured? Um,
0: I, when I was in fourth grade, I need to go to my parents' house to find this thing, but um, we had to write a story about what our future was. And I can still picture the cover, but um, of what I, the story that I wrote, it was called Aya, the nurse from Mars. (laughs) Um, So that's what I pictured would be Mm -hmm. my life, Um, being an emergency medical professional on Mars. Okay. So I haven't gotten there. So there's still time, you know, the life is long, and I could still do that. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that yet. That said, I am um, married to someone that works in the aerospace industry, so maybe Mm -hmm. he will get us to Mars and then we can um, build some hospitals there.
1: Great, let's check back in in about 20 years and we'll see how the Martian Plan's going. Special thanks to our guest, Aya Kanai. In Her Shoes is edited and produced by Brandon McFarland. Our lead producer is B.A. Parker. Stella Bugby and Nishat Kirwa are the show's executive producers. The Cut is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com backslash subscribe. I'm Izzy Grinspan. Thanks for listening.